So I wanted to begin this uh, evening by talking a little bit about music, and specifically talk about songs, uh, because I think songs uh, in particular, poetry in general, has a way of speaking to us uh, in ways that other forms of communication just don't. That, that oftentimes songs and lyrics and poetry uh, open our hearts and our minds to consider and to think about things in a way that's different than if I just said it, if I just spoke it to you. I mean, uh, let's, let's think about some, some songs for just a moment. I'll, I'll be honest, uh, one of my favorite bands is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Just absolutely love uh, Tom Petty. And one of my favorite songs is Won't Back Down. She goes a little something like this. Well, I won't back down, won't be turned around. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Some of you know this song, right? Now, that's, I, I love this song. This is an awesome song. Now, now, Tom, honestly, if he wanted to get his point across, he could simply say, I'm determined to persevere. End of song. All done. But man, there is something about that language, right? Of I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell. I won't back down. That just speaks this like amazingly powerful message of, of standing up in the face of wrong, of standing up in the face of difficult circumstances that you just, you kind of want to sing that song when, when life is tough. Let's take another band uh, that I enjoy, uh, Queen. Okay, big fan of Queen. Absolutely love Queen. All right, and uh, you know, their crazy little thing called life, uh, crazy little thing called love, right? There goes my baby. She knows how to rock and roll. She drives me crazy. She gives me hot and cold fever, then leaves me in a cool, cool sweat. Oh, this thing called love, I just can't handle it. This thing called love. Yeah, you guys are already like bobbing your heads to it. Now, let's think about this for just a second, okay? Freddie Mercury could have very easily said, I like her so much, it's driving me crazy. And that would have been it, end of song. But come on, that is not as good as this crazy little thing called love, right? Makes you think about it in a totally different way. Or let's, let's, let's think about church for just a second. Let's think about the, the songs that we sing in worship. You know, this one, most of you know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Now, let's be honest. John Newton could have just said, I'm so glad Jesus saved me. But doesn't amazing grace just sound so much better? <laughs> All right, maybe I'm being a little harsh. Let's get rid of that cross out for a second. This is true. I'm glad Jesus saved me, but to, to give it words like that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, forces you to meditate on that gift in a way that you would never do otherwise. Songs and poetry are as old as human language itself. Which is why throughout this Lenten season, we're actually going to be moving through some songs. And we're calling this uh, Lenten midweek series, The Songs of Jesus. And what we're going to be looking at is a couple of psalms in the bigger book of psalms. And these are called the Psalms of Ascent. 
Uh, there's only a few of them. They actually begin in Psalm 120, but, but these psalms were special in the life of God's people because these psalms were the songs that they would have sung when they were on pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. That whenever they had to go to Jerusalem for different feasts and festival days, these were the songs that you would have heard people singing on that road trip. These were the songs that they would have sung to remind themselves of who God is and what he's done for them. These are songs that would have been deeply ingrained in their hearts and in their minds. These are songs that Jesus would have sung. And throughout Lent, we want to walk with Jesus toward Jerusalem. We want to go with him on his pilgrimage. And that's why I believe these psalms are beautiful songs in so many ways because they point us actually to the Lenten story. They ultimately point us to the story of Christ himself. And so tonight we're going to begin. We're going to begin with the very first of those psalms of ascent. If you have your Bibles or if you want to use the Pew Bible in front of you, I want to encourage you to open up to Psalm 120. Psalm 120, the very first of the songs of ascent. And the interesting thing about Psalm 120 is that it is not a happy song. It's actually quite an angry psalm. Listen to these words. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn. In Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, I would have loved to have known what the music was that went to that song. Because that sounds like something that ACDC or Metallica probably would have written. Okay, this is a discordant song. This is a song that's, that's, that's hard, that almost, its very language grates on the ears. This is a rough and tumble kind of song. But see, that's the amazing thing about music. In song, you can express the wide range of human emotions, and, and immediately that should ask, force us to ask some questions. The biggest question being, why is this the first in these pilgrimage songs? Why is this the first in these pilgrimage songs? But, but secondly, why, what is it that caused such strong emotions in the writer? Well, I think we're going to find out in just a few moments why this is the first of the Psalms of Ascent. But let's, let's focus on that second question first. What is it that caused this reaction in the writer? Well, honestly, it's because the writer of this song has woken up to something. He's woken up to a truth about this world. Namely, that when, if we're really honest and we look around us, what we see is we see a world that peddles to us lies. That's the reason he cries out to God. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. See, this author has woken up to the fact that we live in a world that tries to sell us a bill of goods, but that if we actually slow down and think about it, we realize that these lies give us no foundation whatsoever. Which is why I actually think that this is a very contemporary song, a very relevant song. 
Because the reality is, is that if we really want to slow down and think about it, we realize not much has changed since the days of this psalm in our world today. A little over a year and a half ago, I had the pleasure of reading uh, this book called Post-Truth by Lee McIntyre. It was actually named uh, one of uh, the New York Times' uh, uh, highest recommended books of the year. Lee McIntyre is a philosopher, and he was trying to tackle this new word or term that had really entered the English language, post-truth. And this is what he says. He says, the Oxford Dictionary, see, post-truth was actually added to the Oxford Dictionaries in 2017. That was their word of the year. Okay, and so he, he wanted to define it and talk about it. He said, the Oxford Dictionaries define post-truth as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In this, they underline that the prefix post is meant to indicate not so much the idea that we are past truth in a temporal sense, as in post-war, but in the sense that truth has been eclipsed, that it is irrelevant. See, what Lee McIntyre is saying is he's saying, you know what matters to people most? The reason post-truth has become the word for our age is because we live in an age when people don't care about facts anymore, when they don't care about objective truth, that that is not what's most important. What's most important to us is how we feel. That what is going to shape our decisions and our preferences and what we do is not so much what are the facts, what's the truth out there, but simply how does this make me feel? Going to go with my gut. Going to go with my heart. And we see this actually all the time. This didn't happen the moment things started to get particularly divisive politically. That's simply one symptom. This has been something that's been going on in our society for a long time. We have it in the Hallmark cards that we like to give one another. <coughs> we have it in the things and the little posters that we like to hang on our walls. It's motivational things like follow your heart. It's always right. What do you truly feel? You know? Let your conscience be your guide. Ooh. See, it goes all the way back to Jiminy Cricket. Come on, Disney. But it's true. We live in a world that says it doesn't matter what's going on out there. How do you feel in here? And the reality is, is that while there are certain things in our gut that, that might be true, there's a whole lot of other stuff in there that really isn't. I love how the prophet Jeremiah says it. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can possibly comprehend it? You know what I love? I love how in our modern world, we are constantly telling ourselves to follow our heart. It's always right. And yet, one of the things that more and more people need is counselors to figure out what they're actually feeling and thinking. Isn't that interesting? And it's because of the fact that, that when we simply look internally, we're looking at something that is so fickle, so changeable, that we can very, very easily lose our way. And the psalmist has woken up to that. The psalmist is saying, this world that I live in is broken by lies. I've been sold a bill of goods that doesn't seem to actually hold up to the world if I really step back and consider what I see. 
I love how Eugene Peterson, in his own book on the Psalms of Ascent, put it. He wrote this amazing book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And in this book, it's just a meditation on all of these psalms. And here's what he says about this psalm. He says that we have been told the lie ever since we can remember. Human beings are basically nice and good. Everyone is born equal and innocent and self-sufficient. The world is a pleasant, harmless place, and we're born free. And if we're in chains now, it's someone else's fault, and we can correct it with just a little bit more intelligence or effort or time. How we keep on believing this after so many centuries of evidence to the contrary is difficult to comprehend. But nothing we do and nothing anyone else does to us seems to disenchant us from the spell of the lie. Wonderful insight into this powerful psalm. The only thing that can truly dispel us from the lie is where the psalmist begins. He begins by crying out to God. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. You see, the moment God enters into the situation, that's really what's needed to strip away the falsehood. Because when you start to actually consider the question, what is this world really supposed to be like? How are human beings really meant to treat one another? Where do we get, why is it that we experience things like injustice and violence and disease and brokenness and warfare? Well, to get answers to those questions, we have to turn to the one who alone can truly see the world as it is and who can truly tell us what the world was always meant to be. God steps in as the one who brings truth, not personal sentiment. And when he does so, it opens our eyes to the reality that our world is quite far from where it's supposed to be. This psalmist says that we need an encounter with God to see the truth, hard as it may be. And he uses some pretty amazing poetic language that I think is worth unpacking. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, modern people, we, we don't understand those lines because we have no idea what Meshech and Kedar are, but for the ancient people, they knew exactly what that was. See, Meshech was a far-off tribe that was thousands of miles from Palestine in southern Russia. And Kedar was actually referred to a wandering Bedouin tribe of barbaric reputation among Israel's borders. And the ancient people who sang this song would have known that. So how do we put that into modern language? Well, basically what this psalmist is saying is he's saying our world is a long way from where it's supposed to be, and it's ruled by violent people, and I'm one of them. I sojourn in Meshech. I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Psalmist is saying, what's wrong with the world? Me. Us. The reason the world doesn't work is because we tell ourselves we're basically good, but then we only look out for who? Number one, me. See, now we're starting to understand why this psalm is the first psalm in these pilgrimage songs. Because at its heart, this song is actually a song of repentance. It's an honest look at what we've made of the world, and it's a cry for something different. 
a cry for something better. The psalmist, when face to face with God, realizes how far short he has fallen. And he says, God, I need something different. I love that he begins with, deliver me, O Lord, save me. He's saying, I need God to step in and transform my heart. I need God to step in and transform my world. This psalm is ultimately a psalm of repentance. And again, we tend to think of repentance as simply saying, I'm sorry, but that's not what the biblical word for repentance means. I love how the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines repentance. Looking at what scripture has to say about it, it says that repentance is literally a change of mind, not about individual plans, intentions, or beliefs, but rather a change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. Psalm 120 is an appropriate beginning place for our pilgrimage because it's saying, Lord, my ways are not your ways, and what I long for most is you. It is a psalm of discontent with the way things currently are and a desire to set out on a journey with God into the new reality of what he is making. This is a psalm that gets us out of our seats and gets us moving. It's a psalm that says, I by myself cannot fix the broken reality of my life. We by ourselves, by looking inwards, cannot fix the broken reality of our world. But if we journey with God, if we cry out to a savior, he is the one who can step in and make all things new. That's what Psalm 120 is about. It's the perfect starting place. It is a discordant song that shouts into our world that is broken, that breaks through to deaf people who are in self-denial about what we truly need. And it speaks the truth and says, God is the one who can deliver you. And that's why I think this is the perfect psalm to begin the Psalms of Ascent. And I think that's why this is the perfect song to begin our Lenten journey, because it ultimately points us to the one who alone can transform what is broken. This is why I think Jesus would have sung this song on his journey to Jerusalem. Because in Jesus, what we find is not a God who's willing to judge or abandon Meshech and Kedar, but a God who's willing to enter into our world to make it new. Jesus entered into broken places to restore them and make them whole. That's why he walked on this journey with us. Love how Romans 5.8 says that this will always probably be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. How do we know that God loves us? And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus started his Lenten journey in order to take people who are broken, people who are in self-denial, people who've been running from God and dwelling in places of brokenness and to restore them to the God who loves them to break through the lies and speak truth. But not a truth that breaks down, but a truth that's restore, that restores. 
that brings wholeness. To name the world as it is, but to then paint a picture of the world as it one day will be. And to give us grace and forgiveness so that as we continue in our pilgrim journey through this world, we become people of healing, people of forgiveness, people who cling to God and journey with him, even in the midst of the mess, to make all things new. And so it's with that in mind as we begin our Lenten journey with this song that I wanted to pray. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you do not abandon us in a broken world, but rather that you enter into journey with us and ultimately to bring us forgiveness and healing, to bring us deliverance and salvation, to rescue us from the lies that we're told and the lies that we tell, to rescue us from the broken promises of our world and instead give us your promises, promises of grace, promises of forgiveness, promises of new life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not be people who are content with the world as it is, but would rather want to journey with you toward the world as it should be. Not only knowing and experiencing your grace, but giving it freely as we live as pilgrim people in a world that is broken, but a world that you love and one day will make new. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.